Welcome to the Wayside Podcast. I'm Robert Killingsworth. The audio for this episode comes from a sermon that was given during one of our Sunday services. We hope you are encouraged and inspired by today's word. Well, good morning. My name is Eric Priest. I am the lay associate pastor here at St. Martin's. And I normally don't see you over here because most Sunday mornings I am over in our Parish Life Center uh, serving in our family table service, which I can only describe to you as joyful chaos, a lot of joy, and a lot of chaos. Um, It's a wonderful place if you ever want to come and see our youngest members learning how to worship God. And I also serve at 1115 in our Riverway Contemporary Worship Service. Um, But it is really good to be here with you in what we affectionately call Big Church. So I am so happy to be here with you this morning. Um, Let me open us in prayer, and then I want to look at something from Luke's gospel together. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are the same God who cleansed the lips of the prophet Isaiah with a live coal. Cleanse now my lips that I might fitly proclaim your holy gospel. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So this is the new year, and I don't feel any different. Those are lyrics from a song that came out about 20 years ago. So this is the new year, and I don't feel any different. The clanking of crystal explosions off in the distance. The song is written from the point of view of someone who gets to that pivotal point in time, New Year's Eve, and discovers what many of us do, that it's a lot of sound and fury and fireworks, but signifying Well, not much, signifying nothing. The song is this interesting mixture of these loud, powerful guitar chords evoking fireworks exploding in the night sky. And at the same time, the lyrics are melancholy and even cynical about the prospects of any real change happening in the year ahead. So this is the new year, and I have no resolutions or self-assigned penance for problems with easy solutions. It's very cheerful. Happy New Year. (laughs) The title of this sermon is The New Year, or at some point, one must return to the sheep. One of my favorite authors is P.G. Woodhouse, and in one of his short stories, he wrote, one of the things that make life so difficult is that waves of confidence and self-reliance do not last. They surge, but they recede, leaving us with dubious minds and cooling feet. Real change, substantive change, can be daunting. Some of you know this because you've just spent Christmas week with your families, and somehow, despite all of the personal growth you've experienced and the hours you've spent in therapy, you found yourself immediately falling back into old patterns that you thought you left behind in adolescence. It happens to lots of people. You return to your family, and suddenly you become the peacemaker again, or you become the rebel or the sarcastic one, or the one who stands aloof from everybody else and their problems. And try as you may to overcome this, you find it happening again and again every year. It's like you're frozen in time. Or perhaps you're trapped in an abuse, in a destructive pattern of behavior, whether that's active, like substance abuse, or passive, like neglecting an important relationship or neglecting your health. There's a reason that when we confess our sins in a few moments, we're going to confess things both done and things left undone. Change can be hard. A few years ago, a friend of mine told me about a dispiriting conversation. 
he was talking to someone and they said, you know, you know what her problem is? Speaking about somebody else. You know what her problem is? She actually believes that people can change. Have you ever felt like that? I think a lot of us have. There's a saying, I think it, Maya Angelou came up with it. When someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. <laughs> or as our 43rd president said, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on you. <laughs> but being wise, being wise about evaluating someone's character is not the same as closing off any hope that change is possible. As Christians, we serve a God who takes valleys and he lifts them up and turns them into mountains. And he takes rough places and he smooths them over and makes them into a plain. He takes things that are hopeless, things that are dead, and he brings life. In a word, at the core of Christianity is resurrection. And so, yes, change is possible, but change is not easy. Most of us have areas in our lives where we want to change, we just, we just don't know how. Last week I was watching Charlie Brown Christmas, and at one point, early, early in the, the film, Charlie Brown goes to Lucy, who's gonna be his therapist. And Lucy says to him, well, as they say on TV, the mere fact that you realize you need help indicates that you are not too far gone. Well, for once, TV was right, because that is true. But change can be really, really difficult. And the way that I know this, the way that I know it's difficult, is because so many places in our culture make it sound like it's easy. That as if substantive, meaningful change can be found by simply replacing something in your diet or becoming more mindful. And those things are fine. They can be good. But if there were easy solutions to change, there wouldn't be quite so many solutions out there for us to choose from. You're going to be inundated with it this week if you haven't been inundated with it already. Seven steps to a better you. Six techniques for living your best life. Five strategies for an amazing 2023. Four methods for achieving your dreams. Three life hacks for better living. Two weird tricks for success. One plan to rule them all. Solution after solution after solution. In fact, change is such a huge industry in our culture. People will try to sell you with the idea that you need to change things that you probably don't really need to change. And they'll ignore the things that you probably actually do need to change. Have you ever been in a heated conversation with somebody and then you blurt out all of a sudden, don't try to change me? Have you ever said that to anyone? There's two different places that that can, that that can come from. The first place is a positive place, right? Don't try to change me could mean you're trying to change me into something that God didn't design me to be. Right? I'm, you don't need to make me into your image. That's God's job, not yours. Because the way that God made you was good. When he made you, he did a great job. And so your personality, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, whether you're loud or quiet, ambitious or gentle, those things are good. God made each of us unique. But most of us, most of us when we say, don't try to change me, that's probably not where we're coming from. It's the dark side of being in a position where we're comfortable with exactly where we are. There's no desire for growth. We're as patient as we're going to be. We're as kind as we're going to be. We're as humble as we're going to be. And that disinclination to change is where the problem is. 
because it denies the ongoing work of God in our lives. You're frozen in time, as if January 1st, 2023, is as good as it's going to get. I want you to imagine for a moment that we're going to go on a little trip. It's not very far. There's been a new baby born in your family, so we're going to head down to the hospital. So we go into the room, and mom is there. She's resting. The baby is asleep. Dad is trying to be helpful, but generally has no idea what to do. Suddenly, there's a knock at the door. Mom weakly says, come in, and the door cracks open. And you can smell them before they walk in. The scent of dirt and sweat rushes into the room. Five of them walk in, and they surround mom's bed. They're dressed similarly, faded striped shirt and pants, orange vest, sharp pointy sticks, A few of them are missing teeth. It's a Harris County prisoner trash detail. That's not who you would expect to show up at the bed, is it? Can you imagine how the new grandmother would scream if she walked in and she saw that? That's what it was like to have shepherds at the birth of Jesus. For anyone hearing the Christmas story for the first time, it would be a little disconcerting. Shepherds had a reputation, and it wasn't a good one. They were thought of as drunks, and thieves. See, we've seen so many manger scenes, so many nativities, that the shepherds don't surprise us. Nothing surprises us. But the message of Christmas is surprising. It should be surprising. God became a human being. Yeah, yeah, we know, we know, we hear it every year. God became man, we got that. But listen, the eternal God, the one who created everything there is, The one who, with a word, spoke solar systems into existence and knows the intricate features of each snowflake, that God had a dirty diaper. He was born in the same messy way that we are. He hit his funny bone on things, and he got hurt, and he had nights where he couldn't sleep, and mornings when he was so tired he couldn't wake up, and he got dizzy, and he had backaches, and he skinned his knees. God. He wasn't some disembodied spirit who floated from place to place, never getting dirty, never getting sick. He had a body like yours, a human body so wonderful in its design, but so fragile. Take a moment to wonder at that. God came down. He became like us so that unlike us, he could live a perfect life. He could die in our place and bear the weight of our sins. He could see his human body be raised from the dead and be remade incorruptible, free from disease and hurt. That's who was in the manger. That's what the shepherds found. These men who were considered thieves, untrustworthy, and worse, they saw God lying in a feeding trough for animals. And why should they, the shepherds, why should they have been invited What had they done to receive the summons to the manger? Well, nothing. All they were doing was feeding their sheep, nothing important. They weren't scholars or kings. They weren't merchants or nobles. They probably weren't even very interesting. In short, their resumes looked a lot like ours, empty. And yet, and yet God has his angels announce the most important event in history to these nobodies. The shepherds hear the message of the angels 
and they hurry to Bethlehem to see what they've been told about. And what they see changes them. Luke writes, they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. And when they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. Did this Christmas change you? Did your celebration of God becoming like us make a meaningful difference in your life this year? There's this odd thing that surrounds Christmas stories and the way that we tell them in our culture. Uh, Right now, I'd like for you to imagine Ebenezer Scrooge from A Christmas Carol in your mind. Just imagine what he looks like. I'm willing to bet that over 90% of us, when you imagine Ebenezer Scrooge, that you imagine him with a scowl on his face. Right? You imagine him about to say his famous words, bah humbug. But is that how he was the entire story? No. No, he was changed. You're thinking of the beginning Scrooge, the one who wants to throw orphans out into the cold and decrease the surplus population. But no, the man who was the stingiest miser becomes the most joyous Christmas reveler in all of England. By the end of the story, he becomes a kind and a generous man, like a second father to Tiny Tim. But that's not how we pictured him, is it? The Scrooge of our imaginations isn't the new one, the change Scrooge, it's the before Scrooge. It's like he's frozen in time before he's changed. That's the funny thing about Christmas stories. We get so used to hearing them that we forget about changes that happen. Scrooge is always a miser. The Grinch's heart is always three sizes too small. The heroine of your favorite Hallmark movie is always too in a rush to leave her high-powered city job and go help run the family store back in her hometown, where, of course, there's a handsome carpenter who always donates his services to her parents who just... Did you not see this one? Oh, sorry. I made that one up. Um, Don't steal it. I'm going to send it in the script this week, and so you'll see it on TV next year. No, but all the stories, we don't remember them with the change. We do that with the actual Christmas story as well. Mary and Joseph are forever alongside the manger, peering in wonder at their baby boy. The shepherds are there, having made it from keeping watch over their flocks by night. Most importantly, baby Jesus is there. But they don't stay there. Mary and Joseph take the baby, And eight days later, they have him circumcised, and he's given the name Jesus. Jesus himself doesn't say a baby, but he grows into a man and announces that he has inaugurated God's kingdom on earth. He is the promised king, and he has come. He goes to the cross, but he doesn't stay there. And he goes to the tomb, but he doesn't stay there either. He rises from death, and he ascends to the Father in heaven, where right now, Right now, he's praying on your behalf. And the shepherds don't stay there either. I think the shepherds are probably the best stand-in for us in the story. Sometimes it's probably the livestock. But in our better moments, it's, it's the shepherds. The shepherds return to the fields. But how does Luke tell us that they return to the fields? They return glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. So where are you this year? Are you still out in the fields? Are you beside the manger? At some point, one must return to the sheep. 
And what then? The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. And how do we know that that's how they returned? Well, because a couple decades later, Luke talked to them. Or at the very least, he talked to people who knew them. After all of those years, the message of the angels had stayed with them. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What if that message wasn't just for the shepherds? What if Luke wrote it down for you also? Unto you was born that day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A change came over the shepherds. What kind of change could come over you if you believed that message? A Savior. Over in our family table service, we sing a lot of the same hymns that we sing here in big church. Um, We also sing a hymn by that famous hymn writer, um, Hank Williams Sr. Do you guys sing that one, Hank Williams? No? Hank Williams says... I wandered so aimless, life filled with sin, I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came, like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Or if you prefer Philip Brooks that we just sang, we hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. So how might God bring change for you this year? What are some tools that God might use to bring change in your life? Well, the first three are so simple. You've heard them a thousand times before, and you'll hear them again. You should come to church, you should pray, and you should read your Bible. Here at our parish, we have so many ways to help you study the Bible. We have our Sunday morning Christian education hour, which begins again next week. We have life groups for our middle and our high school students. We have 20s and 30s gatherings. We have men of St. Martin's. We have mom's group and dad's group. We have CLS for ladies on Thursday mornings and evenings. We have small groups, including many which are launching brand new in February. And I'm sure I'm leaving something out, but there are so many ways that you can get plugged in and learn about the Bible, learn about what God has given to us. And I'm not trying to guilt you into adding yet one more thing to your schedule if you're already feeling overburdened. So start small, whatever it takes. Find ways to make worship, prayer, and scripture a priority this year. Some of us, for some of us, we need to make a bigger change, one that we can't do on our own. It may mean reaching the end of your rope and seeking help for an addiction. It could mean ending an unhealthy relationship. It may mean finding a trusted counselor to help you. I don't know what your exact solution is, But I do know this, I know that you're not alone. God hasn't given up on you. God who knows you better than you know yourself has not given up on you. As Paul writes in his letter to the Philippians, the same God who began his good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion. So this is the new year and you may not feel any different. But Christmas changed everything back then, and it changes everything for us today. And so today, it's time. It's time to come to God and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to change. Because it's never too soon, and it's never too late. God isn't finished with you. Thanks be to God. 
Thanks for listening. The Wayside Podcast is a ministry of St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas. It was created by Ryan Presley and the Reverend Wesley Arning. It is executive produced by Robert Killingsworth. The theme music was written and recorded by Robert Killingsworth. If you're interested in life at St. Martin's, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at St. Martin's Episcopal Church.